Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. I love the power. Hi guys, I'm Mac 19 and this is the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast coming to you live once again on Port Fan Radio. Look, uh, Rick's still on stress leave from uh, Pinar getting injured, so we've got uh, two guests on this evening. Uh, the first is the long-awaited uh, return of Triby. How are you, mate? I'm good. Well, as good as can be after that horrible annihilation of everybody's psyche yesterday. But uh, no, good to be here. Good to be here. <laughs> yeah, that's the way. And uh, secondly, we're speaking with the great Andre. How are you, mate? I'm well. I've removed all sharp objects in the vicinity so I can get through the next hour. That's it. Good work. Boys, well, what a debacle that was. <sighs> yeah, that's one way. Where to begin? <laughs> uh, you have to start the, at the beginning of a week. There's a... Uh, I think the tone was set when um, we did everything possible to turn it from a port home game into um, a quasi-Crows home game. Hmm. No, it's true. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just another one of those things where at the time you think, oh, yeah, well, that's a good idea. That's a nice thing to do. And then it backfires and you go, no, nah, that was that was stupid. Oh, that's exactly. like uh, the rest of the season, really. Uh, that's, that's exactly... Uh... That's exactly what it was. I mean, you know, many, many column inches and uh, uh, <clears throat> TV hours, radio hours have been devoted to the absolute tragedy that befell uh, the football community. And, you know, uh, everybody came together and were unified in grief for what was a fantastic uh, football man at uh, both clubs. But uh, I think uh, as far as... Where we were concerned, I think we got up emotionally for the uh, Collingwood game. We had the win, and uh, I think uh, just the um, the foible of the draw meant we had to play the Crows next up. And of course, everything uh, rolled over to that game. And uh, unfortunately, I think one team was amped to play at Adelaide Oval for the first time in however long, and uh, we'd already done that. And here we are. Should we go straight into our love and hate and uh, get that out of the way? I guess you could say. Yep. Andre, do you want to start us off? Well, that's pretty much what we've just said. My hate would have to be that we've... This week has been the the pinnacle, or more accurately, the depths of um, our season, how we've slowly taken everything that we've built up over the last two years to getting back to being Port Adelaide and have jettisoned it into space, into the sun, and, um, and then blown it up further for good measure. So, so, so it's, it's, we like to make fun of the Crows of being uh, 50 shades of bland, but that's the direction the club's been heading this year off-field, and it's um, rolled over onto on-field. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And do you have a, a, a love of some description? I'd have to say it's Chad Wingard. It's um, just the numbers he's been... Well, pulling all season, but especially the last six weeks, is you know it seems to be the worse the club's been going, the the harder he's been trying to, to pull us out of it, and you know he's just not getting the support. I mean, if again another twenty possession, two plus goal game, and if he 
no one else in the league is getting that. If he played for a Victorian side, he'd be getting column inches every week and he'd be a smoky for the Brownlow. So, and yet, you know, they get other Muppets um, interstate and within this state saying he's not even um, deserving of being in the All-Australian squad, let alone being picked. You seem to have to scratch your head sometimes. Yeah, well, that's ridiculous. I mean, he's... I think there's only Buddy and Josh Kennedy that have kicked more goals than him in the last two months. So he's in absolute career best form at the moment and you know will fully deserve his old Australian Guernsey when he gets it. And if we had been winning some more games, he would have been a smoky for the Brownlow. He's the uh, only player in the league who's averaging more than 20 possessions and two goals. I mean, he, he's for a basically... Long time. Yeah, I mean, he, he's basically peak Stephen Johnson or peak Paul Chapman when Geelong were winning 20 games a year. And yet, you know, you see Muppets on social media whenever, you know, Lloydie does his rolling All-Australian team saying, you know, what's Wingard done? He's been inconsistent. He's been average. He hasn't done anything. And it's like, hang on a minute. He's absolutely dominating in a team that, you know, is just poor. So... Let's say he hasn't, you know, missed getting a goal in um, was it all year. And it's been like, it's, uh, yeah, it's the only, along with, well, Homsch until probably this week, the only one who's, you know, turned up each week. Triby, your love and hate, mate? <laughs> uh, I think I said it all today on the uh, forum. I thought it was going to be cathartic and I'd feel better, but, you know, I, I still don't. Um, I was, uh, I was at the uh, Game Day Village after the game with uh, true, uh, fellow Big Footy posters, Truth and Gillian Batty. Shout out to Gillian Batty. The um, bat? But, yeah, old G-bat. But um, we, were, we were there drowning our sorrows and Timmy Geneva came over and, uh, you know, we, we uh, had a bit of a chat and, you know, our, our, I mean, Timmy Geneva was positive as always, you know, good on him. But, uh, yeah, we just have this feeling that as uh andre said um what what's happened to the club you know it just feels like all the good work of the past two years is quickly draining away and it's feeling a lot like that old 2010 uh, 2009 uh, 2012 even just that what are we doing where are we headed Yes, we've got some good young players, but the bulk of the list looks shot to a large degree. And you've just got to wonder, with Jay Schultz about to ride into the sunset, um, a lot of our players, Westhoff is 28, Carlisle's 28. Like we've got a lot of guys who are our key guys who we rely on look like they're not going to get any better from here. And did we fire our best shot last year? Like We, keep, we kept talking about how we were the third youngest list in the league, but... When you look at who our prime movers and our key movers and shakers are, I think really potentially last year could have been our one shot and I think we could well have blown it. Yeah. I think we've still got till the end of next year to uh, to win one and then we really need to start finding some more players and some younger guys standing up and find something resembling a key forward under the age of 56 and uh, <laughs> then hopefully we'll be all right. Yeah. I'm not so concerned about Carlisle. I think Cleary is coming along well. So I think in a down back, Trengrove, Homsch, Cleary, I think that end of the ground, and we've got still got you know an overabundance of half-back flankers. It's um, not a concern. It's 
we're still short a good inside mid um, is the other big one. I mean, we obviously all want to keep position forward, and if if we could pick only one player, that would what we'd all grab. But it, just again, you know, we'd be spanked at the clearances, and it's been a problem all this year, and it was a problem all last year. The only difference was really last year is we had everyone wasn't clogging back the corridor, and we had White and Pollock able to break the lines, and everything clicked. But it's um, yeah, been an ongoing problem at the club for a long time. Yeah. I think, part of the pro- I think part of the problem is it's just it's almost uh, Groundhog Day of like 2009, 2010. Like we've we've got like a really you know well on paper we've got a really solid defence. We have got a couple of elite young players, but you know Jay Schultz look like, looks like the last days of Warren Treadray. Um, we've still got, as you said we've got an overabundance of flankers. It, it's just it just feels like we've done this before. You know the skinny undersized bodies. We're not running over team. Well we. Did try to run over the crows yesterday, but generally our fourth quarters have been poor this year. It, it just feels like Groundhog Day, and you know that, that's probably part of the problem. Is that any other team could probably ride out this blip, but for those of us, you know, we all survived the horrors that was the late Williams era and the Primus era, and I think a lot of us are having the uh, the flashbacks to those terrible, terrible years. In a lot of ways, it's actually worse because. In 2011-2012, we trudged along as a long-suffering in a 10 or 15,000 and we knew we were going to be served up a steaming pile of crud on a plate, but we thought, you know, that's how good the team is, uh, in inverted commas. We had a, a poor coach in Primus, we had a, a fitness coach who found his accreditation at the bottom of a you know, packet of wheat bicks. We, um, we didn't have the off-field support because um, we didn't have any sponsors to pay for anything. But now we've had a good year in 2014 and even had a couple of you know, flashes in 2015, you know, first quarter versus Collingwood and Hawthorne, where we could see this is what the players can do, but they're not doing it. So I think it's, it's in a lot of ways it's been more frustrating and worse than 2011 and 12 because then you were resigned. Now you just want to bang your head against the desk and go, what on earth are you doing? Mm. Mm. You've just got to hope that this is our sort of Geelong 2006 moment and we will come out next year firing and understanding what a uh, what a mistake this year has been from start to finish. I mean, just on like saying about you know, what the players are capable of, I think it's we've seen from you know, where they have had those flashes of brilliance that for all our other problems of missing White and Pollock for their ability to break the lines, which has been a, a big one for the... The poor selections and misuse of a sub and, um, you know, the questions around have we gone too far for, you know, the soccer player body versus, um, you know, AFL footballers. Uh, I think the biggest problem is still above the shoulders because you look at what we've been able to pull out, you know, even last week, first quarter versus Collingwood, when the players were playing on raw emotion and they weren't thinking and they were just playing on instinct, we just saw that they are still at their best a top four team. But as soon as they start to think about the game, they start second-guessing themselves and they either panic dispose of it too quickly or they you know, look around for options and they get caught and um, you know, get holding the ball or uh, um, you know, end up picking the wrong options. It's, uh, 90% of it is above the shoulders, I think, with these guys. Yeah. Did you have a love, Trivi? I had no love whatsoever. <laughs> yes, yesterday was like 
yesterday was just like apocalypse <laughs> now from start to finish. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. I'm just, yeah. There was no, I almost feel like, you know, Graham Corns and Chris McDermott after that 1990 grand final, you know, where you, you go into the Crows room and you, you, you say, you know, there was no logical reason why you should have won that game, you know. They didn't have Brad Crouch. They didn't have Mitch Greek. They didn't have Rory Sloan. They lost their best defender, Daniel Talia, to concussion in the second quarter. And how did we respond? We just, you know, coming off a 10-day break, we, I mean, yes, we yes we came back at them. We gave up a 30-point lead at three-quarter time and almost hauled them in. But there's no way they should have beaten us, let alone get six goals up at various stages. It's just, you've really got, you've really got to wonder what, what we're thinking in terms of coaching mindset and everything in between. Like the minute, the minute Talia went off, does every other coach in the league not pragmatically go, okay, how about we put Schultz and West off deep and try to bomb it onto their heads and really put them under pressure? We didn't do that. They had Jake Lever. They had, uh, I couldn't even name their other key defenders that they have down there. We just, we just did not test them at all. We just insisted on doing this, chippy surgical poor execution drop it on a dime uh you know forward entries when any other team in the league would have just it would have just would have been an air raid every time they got forward uh, look that's my love that's my love is that's that a I'm good now, love that's a, yeah is that i'm, is that I'm now love. full of hatred yeah well that's the story oh, of the year it's a it's the same one when we played sydney Instead of um, they have an injury, and instead of you know we exploit it, they put on a run of goals. It's um, it's like if if you're an opposition coach, you'd you'd want to arrange for one of your players to you know like uh, run into one of ours and you know get subbed off at quarter time because you know we'd just roll over in sympathy and let them walk all over us when it happens. It's it's mm. it's like okay, you're losing a game. That's one thing, but how when the oppositions keep on losing key players, we start playing worse. It's I don't know. It's inexplicable. I'm not sure I can top that love, to be honest. That's a, that's a pretty good love. But um, my love was the crowd, 54,500. It got uh, demoted to 53,500 today with the SMA staff getting uh, chopped off. Um, but, man, what a ridiculous crowd. I didn't think it, we would get that that high a crowd. And, you know, when that came up on the screen, it was just like, you can't be serious. That's, uh, that's ridiculous. No... It didn't surprise me. He had every man his dog. You know, pretty much everyone wanted to get there, and um, every, unlike you know a home game for either side, you you're always going to have pretty much everyone who's a, a um, stadium member, you know, turn up. So yeah, that mm. one wasn't a shock. It was certainly a shock when they showed fifty four and a half thousand. I'm thinking, isn't capacity only fifty three? Like, <laughs> what's mm. going on here? Just just to add to that, in terms of the crowd figure. Um, you could you could basically you could basically call it a hate in that RAA have advertised the fact that if we get over fifty thousand all year, that one lucky fan would win ten grand. But apparently they decided to give it to charity. Yeah, like that's all well and good, and I admire the sentiment. But if you're using that as a promotional tool all year, could you not have found another ten thousand dollars to give to one of us forlorn folk who had to sit through that trip? I'm surprised they didn't give it to the Adelaide Football Club, to be honest. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Look, my hate this week is the fact that the club has ruined close games 
for me. I mean, how many times have we chased a win, got within a kick over the last couple of years, and then just not been able to get that uh, that extra goal that we need to to get in front and just does my head in and, and it's pointless jumping up and down and screaming in the stands hoping that you get that extra goal because you just know it's not going to happen so you know I think it was what one goal five to start the last quarter certainly doesn't help and you know we shot ourselves in the foot again by goal kicking and I'd rather we lose by 20 or 30 points than go through this sort of mental anguish every second week of getting within a kick and losing again and again and again just like we did in 2008 again it's, yeah, I agree. it's- it's a it's a mental one. It's a fear of failure. They get behind, they you know stop thinking. Okay, you know we're going to lose from here. You know I've I've got to you know, worry about what I'm doing. They just switch to you know attacking football. They get to within a goal or two and they start thinking. Oh, you know the game's on the line again. They start you know overthinking it again. And I think that's why we see that they get they get behind, they get close, but then they just can't take that final step because they just start reverting and heading back into their shells. It's um. You can just see it happening. You can almost see them that they, you know the cogs start turning over once they get within that kick of you know drawing level or I'm um, getting ahead. Yeah, there was nothing surer than Nathan Cracker, ostensibly, ostensibly our our coolest head and our uh, mm. smoothest kick into the forward fifty, absolutely shanking that off the side <laughs> of the boot in the center of the ground when he was about five meters clear. Like, I think he, I think he prefaced the kick with a little bit of a fumble too. Like he, he could did, have, yeah. he could have potentially one grabbed it and taken off, and even maybe had a ping from fifty, and mm. yet he absolutely shanked it off the side of the boot. And it's the, you could feel you could feel everybody, every one of the teal persuasion just deflate like a burst Nigel Mansell tire coming down to Ketterville mm-hmm. Terrace when that ball yeah. came off the side of the boot. Awesome. Yeah. That, that was the moment. Bridge. That was the moment where Ralph Wiggum's heart broke, you know, frame by frame, <laughs> right then. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's uh, go on and talk about uh, the result. Yes, I guess it's the result that the AFL world wanted. The Crows winning an epic, memorable showdown. I guess if you're a Crow fan, it was memorable. Um, by three points. Um, 18 goals 8 to 17 goals 11 uh, Ryder, Wingard and Gray kick 3 each uh, and Schultze as well whilst uh, Boak and Lobie kick 2 Yes, to start with um, how were you guys feeling before the game were you confident or were you a little bit concerned no I was I mean it's one again that was the story of 2015 on paper it should have been our game now coming off a um Two days less break. They were coming back from the trip to WA, which is, you know, tends to take it out of the sides. We were um, fresh. We'd we'd drawn the line under our tribute, but then as soon as the talk started, you know, um, winding back everything that makes our home game, and then Boat comes out and basically says, you know, we're not going to um, we're not going to be rough to Adelaide. We, you know, if they tackle us, you know, we'll give them a hug. You still you start worrying at that point in time. As, mm-hmm. I, I didn't think they were going to come out. I thought it was always a risk that it was going to come out quickly like they did, but, yeah, I thought we'd still um, you know, put up more of a fight than we did. But it's also the story about a year that, despite the opposition playing so badly, you know, we got, as I say, that close with them, and again, we couldn't just take that final step and um, you know, get up in a close one. Yeah. I was absolutely confident. I seriously like, even though all the warning signs were there, you know, as as you said, Andre, you know, we were scaling back the home f- 
festivities. We were, you know, Travis Boat came out with those ill-advised sound bites, whether that was towing the party line because David Kosh had gotten their ear. I don't know. I wouldn't put it past him. Um, but I, apart from all that, I still, I, I still looked at it calmly and rationally. You know, the, the 10-day break versus their eight-day break, coming back from Perth, West Coast had absolutely smashed them. Uh, you know, there was talk that because of, you know, obviously the tragedy, they hadn't trained properly as, as you'd expect an AFL team to train. Um, it was our home game. We had a strong lineup. We'd just come off a good win against Collingwood. There was no, there was no logical reason why they should have got anywhere near us, let alone smack us for the majority of the game before falling over the line. And uh, I, I ignored all of that. I just, I just, I was just calmly sipping bevies at the game day village, absolutely blissfully unaware of the three hours of rancid baby poo that was about to be served up on a platter. And uh, what, what more can you say? I mean, you know, we're going to obviously go into the game in a little bit finer detail coming up, but just in terms of the general mood of the game, I mean, I know, um, Maka, you were a little bit pessimistic about, you know, what was to come because obviously we've been burnt before, but I genuinely, I genuinely thought that we had that in the bag and uh, I thought we were going to rise above all the distractions and just crush them, but, you know... We didn't, and once again, we're sitting here forlorn and confused and burnt. Mm. As you said, I was pretty concerned pre-game. I said it on the podcast, I said it on the forum during the week and and on game day as well, that I was a bit concerned that we'd uh, get thrashed. I thought um, we might see Adelaide come out absolutely firing. They had everything to play for. They had finals on the line. They had, you know, the, the tribute to Phil Walsh, and, you know, we'd already sort of won our game as a tribute to Phil Walsh, and... Um, they would have wanted to have made amends for the performance that they had um, out west and the result that they had there. So I was concerned that the Crows would come out absolutely firing and you know be six or seven goals up a quarter time and we just wouldn't be able to peg them back. And I guess that didn't really happen. But um, I mean, there were periods of time where it did look like we were going to get thrashed, and you know they got out to about thirty-six or thirty-nine point lead at, at one stage during the third quarter, and you thought, God, this is just a, an absolute nightmare. That's, uh, that's come true here, but I don't know. For me, my main concern was making sure that we came out of the blocks absolutely firing, hitting them hard and and not allowing them to get that sort of breakaway lead in the first sort of 10, 15 minutes. But as they ended up, you know, they kicked uh, three goals in pretty quick succession whilst we were still uh, packing up the prayer mat and the, uh, the peace pipe. It was always going to be an emotional first quarter. I mean... You'd think after our players had come out the week before firing on all cylinders with the emotion of it, that they knew how the Crows players were going to be. They just experienced themselves a week earlier. I mean, it's how could it possibly be a surprise of how the Crows were going to attack the game? We say it all the time about Port Adelaide, how you know in the first five minutes how the game's going to turn out. And I think this was another example of knowing by their actions in the first sort of five to ten minutes that we were in a lot of trouble. Mm. Yep, that's true. I mean, even in the last two years, it's like it's pretty much been our time in the AFL. You can always tell, like you say, within the first five to ten minutes, with very few exceptions, you know, if, uh, how we're going to go in a game. I mean, you really have to think back a long time for 
you know, where we've had a game where we've started really badly and, um, and then we've completely turned it around. It's um, got to be a few years now. Hmm. If it if it wasn't for Boak, Gray, Wingard and Homsch and Ryder yesterday, we would legitimately be playing off for a meat platter in like a Division 6 amateur <laughs> league the way we yeah. with the way our team is at the minute. Like it, you look at you look at the numbers that Boak, Wingard and Gray put up. I mean, they are premiership numbers. You know, 20 odd touches, three goals. You know, Boak had 11 score involvements. Ryder absolutely look like the recruit we expected to get in terms of his dominance. I mean, those guys were absolutely playing at a silverware winning level. And it just goes to show, like, we every week we've had probably 10 to 15 guys all throughout the team, not just the bottom guys who keep on being dropped to the SRFL and then rotated back through, your Mitchells, your Archies, your Moors. But, you know, your likes of Ebert, Wines was down. Um, we've had some really serious players from week to week to week just put in absolute stinkers. And if it wasn't for that top four or five players absolutely playing out of their skins, we'd be lucky to have a win on the board, really. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Cream has certainly delivered this year, and we've just had no sort of underlay underneath that have uh, been prepared to sort of step up on a consistent basis. And, you know, we've had players sort of flitter in and out of form here and there. You know, Youngy had a good sort of three or four weeks to start the season and then sort of dropped off dramatically. And Cracker might have done the same. Impey's done the same. You know, probably Hartlett's. You know, we've all sort of questioned his form at some point during the year as well. And I don't know. It's just uh, it's just frustrating. We just look completely underprepared to cope with what um, Adelaide would bring from the first bounce. And for me, once again, it was just a matter of poor skills, poor decision making, complete lack of composure with the ball. You know, stupid things like Cam O'Shea running 20 metres over the mark to corral a player after he's just taken a mark. I mean, that's a, it's a 50-metre penalty every day of the week. Mm. Like, I, I just don't understand your thought process on why you're doing this. And then he goes and falls over and drops the ball and, you know, gives up another goal, you know, 10 minutes later as well. It was just... He had a nightmare game and he certainly wasn't alone, I guess. The one no, in the last like... quarter where he fell over when we had... He had two guys on either side of him and he kind of wrong-footed himself, fell over, and the Crows immediately got a goal from it. I think that was, was that like four or five minutes into the last quarter? I mean, that that was probably... I think it was, was in the third. It was in the third was quarter, in the third. but yeah. we were really coming at them then, and the Crows were really wavering. I mean, they looked, they looked like a punch-struck boxer at that stage, and had he not handed that to them on a platter, we probably would have run them over in all likelihood. I mean, you, I mean... You're loath to isolate a single moment or a single player, but that goal came at a time when we were we had all the momentum. The Crows were absolutely dead in the water from where I was sitting. And that goal gifted to them on a platter at a time when we were just about to start. It was basically the last quarter steamroller probably would have arrived about 20 minutes earlier than it did. Um, you, you've, just got, you've just got to look at Cam O'Shea and think, why, why can he not? maintain a level of consistency like he showed against Collingwood the week before. He was a cyborg the week before. He did not put a foot wrong. And this week he came out, and similar to a a guy he's been compared to before, Michael Pettigrew, the the gap between his best and his worst is probably the widest I've seen in our uh, AFL experience. Yeah. That's a pretty fascinating. Well, that's a... Especially indictment on O'Shea, but I mean it's a, a concern across the team. We just 
we have a players at their peak. Uh, so many are great, but they've just now got the number of games in them over the last two years where you just be expecting that, that when they have a down game that it's just not as down as they are. I mean, um, I mean that's really the thing you'd be expecting is, okay, yes, you have a, a down game, but you find a way to work into the game. You know, you do the tackles, you do the one percenters, but we just have players, when they're off, they might as well not be out there at all. Um, when we did decide to play football, we did actually look pretty decent. You know, I'm talking about the end of the second quarter, we kicked three or four goals in a row. You know, that five-minute period in the third quarter where we just went bang, bang, bang and, you know, started to get the ball out of the middle and, and, and really got ourselves back into the game when it looked all but, all but over. But um, just as it came, it, it went just as quick. And, you know, that's, that's the worst part about our side at the moment is that as you said earlier, Andre, you know our best is good enough. We, we've shown pretty much every week these periods of play where we look absolutely unstoppable. But then we just revert back to this sort of... I don't, I don't know if it's sort of being comfortable with themselves or, or how they're going, but they, they just begin to sort of second-guess themselves and, and the mistakes come, the, the poor decision-making comes and the poor skills come as well. So we've got to be masters of killing momentum. It's like, you know, how many times we see, you know, we'd be streaming down, we'd get the ball, we're streaming down to attack, and somehow we manage to pick out a three-on-one or a, you know, a two-on-one, or opposition players just on their own, and just, especially that that kick into the forward, you know, half-forward area, it just seems to be the spot on the ground where we really, really struggle week to week. We just, Mm. you know, seem to pick out where the opposition has numbers. It's, um, and... The worst one is often where we seem to have, you know, a player free, you know, 20 or 30 metres away. It's somehow every week we, we seem to pick out the bad option. It's, um, yeah, I'll be pulling out my hair if I um, haven't already done all of that. Yeah. I mean, it's needy, you know, getting a, a great contested ball and then handballing it straight to a, a free crow player. Like, you could just tell that the crow player said, needy, needy, and he just handballed it straight to him. And they got a goal out of that. Impey, I reckon, made two or three errors which cost goals. Um, Brad Ebert just turned the ball over all game, despite the fact that you know he took a number of courageous marks dropping back in defence. And you know, Matty Broadbent, he's another one whose skills have to come under question. And we know he's a great long kick. Um, you know, a lot of people sort of said that Jay Nash was a great long kick, but in the end, they might have a long kick. But when it goes 25 metres over the leading forward's head every single time. Um, you just got to start questioning, you know, what they're doing out there. Yeah. It's sort of one we can't seem to get a player who's a complete package. We've got a say like Broadbent Nebert who are you can usually rely on, you know, to take the mark, the a contested mark, but their disposal is shocking. Then we've got some other players of good disposal, but you know they'll drop the marks. So they're not getting enough of the ball. It's like, <laughs> can we find a player that you know can do both? We don't seem to be having too many of them this year. Hmm. So what's the issue with our midfield? Why can we not win clearances out of the midfield? Is it the uh, the, the cattle that we've got out there? Is it setups? Is it strategy? Or is it um, you know a lack of composure and, and motivation out there? Uh, I would choose answer D, all of the above. I mean, it has <laughs> to start with Loby. I mean, four out of five showdowns. It's um, I think pre-game he goes up to Jacobs and says. You know, take that lube out of your pocket. You're not going to need it. You can take me dry. It's, it's. 
This four out of five showdowns, he absolutely annihilates them and gives Loby his, his worst games. I mean, it's got a, as Loby had a worse game than he's had against um, Jacobs in two or three showdowns. I don't think he's had anything like as bad a games against other sides, despite having in a poor games um, this year. It's just he seems to save his worst for um, the showdowns three out of four or four out of five times, and you know. <sighs> He was hitting the Crows players on the chest um, in a repeatedly yesterday. I mean, um, yeah. and then from there, we, you know, the coaches either they backing him to um, you know get better as the game go on, or they, you know, miss that this was happening. They didn't adjust the centre square um, setups to play to you know losing tap or um, opposition getting first use of a ball. <clears throat> you know, you seem to be expecting him to you know come good and get it, and it didn't happen, and they were. In waltzing it out um, all game. Yeah, I uh, the the thing with the center clearances has been an issue all year, and uh, while I think that center clearances on their own can be rather overrated, because obviously, as we saw yesterday, um, our skill, our poor skill level going into half forward is just as bad as losing a center clearance. I mean, you know, the famous stat that I always pull out is that we actually won the center clearance, or that we actually won the clearances in the uh, 2007 grand final, uh, 34 to 30. So mm. you can't put too much stock into clearances. But when we had the uh, preseason showdown, um, you know, there was a moment when I think the center square contained uh, Jay Schultz. Uh, I think it might have been Jake Need, uh, Nathan Steinburner, and Elijah Ware. It may as well have been, given <laughs> given how pointless the, these guys were. They weren't going to be part of our midfield rotation during the year. And I just think, for whatever reason, um, whether this is the influence of you know uh, having Walsh go to the Crows, having Voss come in and impart his philosophy, um, we've clearly gone for a whole different. Uh, set up and uh, package in uh, especially center clearance situations and I don't think we've got a handle on it now whether you know we've talked about the Burgess factor and whether we've slimmed players down too much I don't think just on the eye test I don't think the likes of Boak and Wines have been able to stand up in tackles anywhere near as well as they did last year especially in that prelim against Hawthorne when the likes of Boak just seemed to be able to break tackle after tackle after tackle and plow ahead but um I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I mean, you know, as you've said, guys, um, Jacobs just absolutely rogered Mister Loby. Um, and how many times did the likes of Richard Douglas, who, all right, he's a good player, but he's got the most smackable head in the Crows team. How many times did Richard Douglas just run it out with absolute ease, looking like an All Australian midfielder? And mm. we didn't we didn't seem to have any response, be that, you know, put a man on him at the stoppage, you know, pack one side of the stoppage. We just we just seem to just rinse and repeat every single time we lost out of the middle and oh you our know, concentration's not there. Our that's concentration, not. our mindset's not there and it doesn't all come down to Lobie and probably sounds like we're having a bit of an unfair crack at him, but I mean the the rest of the midfielders have to take control of this as well. If, if they know that Loby's not going to be winning hitouts, which he never does against the Crows, they've got to adjust to that. They've got to be more on edge. They've got to know exactly what's going on. And I don't think outside of Boak and Gray, any of our midfielders are in the game at, at any stage. I mean, Ebert was 
Ebert did some nice things dropping back, but Wines had probably his worst game. Hartlett didn't even get in the midfield at any stage of the game, I don't think. And at one stage, I think we even had Westhoff and Broadbent in there just to try something completely different, but I'm not even sure that worked either. I was waiting for Jackson Trengove to be released into the ruck at some stage, just just to just to show some level of combat against Jacobs, but it never happened. Mm. I mean, just what is going on with Trengrove and, and rucking? It's um, We know he's not enthusiastic about it, but we've just had games this year where, let's say we don't even pick on Loby exclusively, where he's just been pants so and you know, just 10 minutes of frying Trengrove into, you know, jump into Jacobs, you know, try and, you know, wrestle back some sort of momentum, you know, you know, change it up, but we're just not doing it. It's just, you know, it's um, it hasn't worked for most of the game, and yet we just keep on going with the losing tactic. It's um, the game day coaching is, you know, yet another area where it's, it's just um, it hasn't clicked this year. Perhaps the we stupid, can get... The stupid uh, thing is that Trengove in the ruck has won us games, numerous games over the last couple of years, and it was a showdown where this whole sort of half began in the wingard Monfries showdown, where Trengove went into the ruck in the last quarter and completely changed the course of the game. Happened against Frio last year as well. So if, if he doesn't want to be playing in the ruck, I'd be saying too bad, basically. Exactly. Perhaps perhaps he could come up with some Shiloh shin guards because hmm. this... I, I, honestly, I just, I just find... The notion ridiculous. He he's arguably he's arguably the best part time burst ruck weapon in the league. What he goes in no there, doubt. He's, pound for pound, he absolutely would be. Oh, he, he's a, he's aggressive. He's athletic. He's got a he's got a huge reach, which absolutely compensates for the fact as a ruckman he's a little bit undersized. And you know, to to just have him sitting back there in defence where he's just been okay. I mean, I don't think he's been very. I don't think he's been great this year, but to just have him sitting back in defence while Loeb gets Loeb gets slaughtered, and we've got a Rob Peter to pay Paul by moving an inform rider who was absolutely playing brilliantly as a key forward, to have to to have to sacrifice you know the forward line to be able to get a Ruckman in there who can actually compete against Jacobs when we've got Trengove sitting back ostensibly, you know, I don't know whether he refuses to ruck or he said to Ken, look, you know, maybe my body's not up to rucking, but, mm. you know, desperate times call for desperate measures. And, you know, if he doesn't want to ruck, that's fine. He can do something else in September and we can watch the rest of the league play. Mm. Let's just say no one's expecting him to become, you know, a permanent second ruck, but it's got to be every, you know, if it's every third game or fourth game, you know, we need to pull that out for a quarter, then, you know, he should be willing to do it. Yeah, ten fifteen minutes once a month when you know the season's on the line. I don't think is is uh, asking too much. No. To be honest, exactly. So the form of Westhoff, he uh, he came off a you know a career best first half last week. Twenty two touches and you know pretty much led the way in our victory against Collingwood. And I think he had two touches to half time this week. Um, what went wrong for Justin? Oh, it's, it's, it's just like being like a lot of a team. He's just inconsistent. He just can't seem to to have the you know that he's got that ceiling is you know so high. But again, it's yet another player where if it's um it's not clicking, it's just and he might as well not be out there. 
he's one of those players who you just want to take, you know, the brain of say Warren Treadray or Dean Brogan and put it in his skull mm. because he has all the attributes to be a brilliant, I mean, he's pretty much a one of a kind player in the AFL in that he can play literally any position. He can play ruck. He can play midfield. He can defend. He can play forward. He can do everything. And when he switched on, you know, as we saw it in the front end of 2013, when he just went on that tear where for four or five weeks, he looked like arguably the most dynamic player in the competition. When he's mm. absolutely in form and the mood takes him, he is one of the most destructive players in the competition. But as you see, Andre, it, when he's down, he is just an absolute and utter non-entity. Like I would have taken, I would have taken a, a, an 18 disposal you know, five mark, one goal, quiet game from Justin. And you'd think, oh, yeah, that's about par coming off a really good game against Collingwood. But he was just completely anonymous. Yeah. Well, the one he Playing yep, against did. Jake Lever, who's played six games, and Cole Hardigan, who's played 19 games. Like, this is Jake a 28-year-old guy that's uh, closing in on 200 games and he's getting absolutely pants by a couple of rookies. Coming off a 10-day break. Like, it's not like he could argue he yeah. was sore or he's coming off a short, short break. Oh, choking on my own rage, boys. I mean, that one you think <laughs> there is why not if, um, you know, with Loby being pants there, is why not put Hoff into the ruck and see if he could have had an impact there if, you know, Trengrove wasn't wanting to go there. See if he could at least, you know, both of them aren't doing anything. See if you can at least swap them around and see if one of them then starts performing in the other position. I mean, it was worth a try. It's just, um, you know, yeah, but I don't know. It's like, oh, Again, Hoff just says, like you say, there's so much potential. He could be, you know, the player that you know just gets all the press. But yeah, it's a once or twice a year job for um, that level. Yeah. Moving on, Brendan Archie. He got uh, he got his, uh, I think, his second start for his career so far, and um, unfortunately, he didn't take that chance. He uh, he was just a complete non-entity out there. Yeah, I think some of that was a bit weird. It's like that. What was he doing? Being playing forward for a you know fair portion of a game. It's, um, mm. When we've been again, we've been spanked in the middle. You know why not bring him in as an extra you know large body in the centre? You know to run into the centre square rather than you know sitting up in the forward line, basically twiddling his thumbs watching the game. I think um, it was just a strange sort of a almost flashbacks of Nick Stevens to the forward pocket, so you know he doesn't get tagged. Um, against Sydney sort of a situation, you know, uh, taking a player and not, you know, playing to his strengths. I mean, he, he had a poor game, but I think it was also, you know, it's it's not all his fault. I think he was very poorly utilised as a player yesterday. Yeah, it just sort of raised my eyebrows when he sort of started up forward and sort of stayed up forward for quite a long period of time. And it's, it's a position where he's kind of got lost at SANFL level in the past as well. And, you know, he's such a weapon in the midfield and, you know, that handball and his ability to hunt the ball. And I just felt that would have been a lot more useful, him playing um, at the stoppages on the weekend, but just didn't happen. Especially when we've entrusted him with a star. Like, we've, we've, said to, we've said to Brendan Archie, all right, you know, we'll give you the start. You've got the big body. We've been crying out for an extra big body in the midfield, and we don't play him there. And surprise, surprise, the Crows smashes in the clearances. And meanwhile, Brendan Archie's still marooned on a half-forward flank. I, mm. I mean, at some stage, at some stage, 
and he's been a breath of fresh air and we love him. But at what point do we not start to ask questions of Ken Hinckley? You know, Michael Voss, Michael Voss has come under the blowtorch at various times. I think unfairly. I think people were roasting him and using him as a scapegoat after the uh, losses in the first two games. But our record over the last, was it 25, 26, 27 games is diabolical. It's it's diabolical. We've we've won, we've won seven of our last fifteen games at Adelaide Oval, so it's not like we've had you know a rough run of away games. We just we're just now getting to the stage where we're losing games that we shouldn't lose, let alone not being able to compete with the big boys. And I think some of the some of the moves like you know not not putting Trengove into the ruck, why not? Because Trengove said he doesn't want to. Like what's what's going on, Ken? I think I think it's time that we. You know, nothing drastic, nothing drastic. I'm not calling for his head or anything like that. But I think, you know, if there is a what, if there is a review at the end of the season, I think we've got to review everything. And I think certain sacred cows, who up to this point have had a pretty smooth ride and a, I think an extended honeymoon period because we have done so well in 13-14, I think we've really got to put the blowtorch on some performance and it begins with the football department. Yep, that's a fair yep. call. It's almost got a bit of the the Neil Craig's about him where you you just almost expected success to happen and then sort of come year three, you know, some sort of quirky, you know, player movements and that sort of thing came into it and you started to to really sort of question what was going on with the Crows. But I don't know, hopefully it's just a down year and, you know, we can come back uh, bigger and better than ever next year. But, um, you know, certainly, I I think it's certainly fair that um, some questions start to be asked. Absolutely. When you're a premiership favourite and you lose to Brisbane and you lose to Carlton and you lose to the Crows who don't have a coach and you know all this sort of stuff, questions have to be asked. And I hope we go through a really big end of season review because it's absolutely needed. We were we were four and a half goals down to Melbourne. Remember in Alice Springs before we flicked the switch and yeah, kicked nine or true. ten goals in a row. Like if you mm. if you go over our season with a fine tooth comb, and I mean you know. It, it, you can't be too negative because obviously you're going to win some close ones and you're going to lose some close ones. Happens every year. But if you look at things coldly, if if Hawthorne had have run us down, if we hadn't have got over the top of North Melbourne, uh, I think that the Crows the Crows smashed us for clearances in the first showdown, and we ended up you know using our efficiency ironically to get over the top of them. I mean, if we had have been even more unlucky than we've been. I mean, we could be staring down the battle the barrel of, you know, maybe a two or a three win season. It's it's really been that dire. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean on the flip side of that, it's like the one of, you know, the the close ones, if we'd you know, if Carlisle hadn't um you know, come off against Fremantle, um, you know, we likely would have started in you know, the season with a win. Um, and if we'd managed to, you know, not throw away uh, by poor kicking against you know, numerous games this year, we'd, we'd have two or three more and we'd, you know, at least be in the bottom reaches of the eight, so sort of a, you know, some up, some down there, but, yeah. It's a double-edged sword. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you, you sort of, like, look at results and I think the thing which, again, it's, I think where it's showing it's all mental is that with the exception of that, you know, round two against Sydney where, um, you know, we just come off the... The game against Fremantle, and we still had a heap of underdone players, and then we made the most inexplicable selection choice that I think any of our coaches have made in our history in the AFL of bringing Redden in. That you know, against the top teams, um, you know, if we haven't won, we've at least been able to you know get close to them. Are, are, 
superpower this year seems to be see how good the opposition is and play just that little bit worse than them. It's so you know we. <laughs> I mean, look at how we played against the top we do. teams. We definitely like, played to the level of the opposition. And we just fall short. And if we'd played at those abilities against the likes of Brisbane and Carlton, we would have smashed them by 10 goals. But we play them, we drop ourselves right back down to their level. It's, it's the thing which just drives me I think, nuts about this year, is that we just, we're not even a consistent level. I've been a being, we're this bad, it's like, there's the opposition, we'll just be that little bit worse so we, you know, they beat us. It happened with the West Coast and Geelong games as well. Mm. I mean, they were, yeah. they were horrible losses. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at least West Coast have turned out to be a bloody good team, so I feel less um, anguished yeah. about that than I did at the time, but you know, when you're, when you're up by three or four goals against West Coast at your own home ground, you should be winning those games and, you know, Geelong, we just didn't turn up at all. Well, I mean, the whole one against Geelong, it was again that you know, we had our chances and we had, you know, while we were in the lead, and, you know, we had plenty of a ball and, again, we butchered it, you know, getting it forward. And um, they didn't, but, you know, uh, um, miss taking their chances when they had them. And that's the story of our season. We've had our chances, but we haven't grabbed them and we've let the opposition grab theirs. If I could have one wish, it would be to be able to take pinking shears to Cam Guthrie's long sleeve Guernsey. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to take those sleeves off. Yeah. There's something about them, isn't there? Interesting. Yeah, I like it. Plus, he looks like Tim Canterbury from The Office, but he does. That as well. So, how did we feel when uh, Matty Loby took two contested marks? I know I had to uh, sit down just to compose myself for a little bit because yeah. I thought I was going to get vertigo and fall over. I know, yeah, like the first one. After the first one, you go, yeah, that that's interesting, and you had to take five minutes to compose yourself. But yeah, and then when he took a second one, I was like, yeah, it's almost fell off my seat into the row in front of me. But hopefully, yeah, I say hopefully that's not enough to get him a, a game next week. But even that, you know, two two marks a game, we shouldn't be falling off our seats there should be like you know that's that should be a minimum standard as a you know a 200 odd centimeter 100 kilo you know ruckman he for a a player of his size he has all the um physical presence of a you know, grandma on a, a zimmer frame it's like how can a guy so big be so soft out in the field you know, when it comes to marking, I mean, when it comes to tackling and the like, you know, he gets his body in there, he's not afraid of a contact. So it's it's another one where you scratch your head, how can he not be afraid of body contact, yet he's so bad at taking a mark? Hmm. I'm not he's a, averaging I'm not a, a, a massive 1.6 marks a game so far this year. Yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not a technical expert, but he just seems to be one of these play, one of these tall players who seems to be very, very upright. At all times. So when he approaches a marking contest, he's not prepared to kind of fall forward or fall backward or lean backward or use his body to kind of coax the ball into his grasp. He kind of stands bolt upright and that, I think, leaves him vulnerable to being spoiled or uh, basically knocked off the ball. You know, when you see you see a good key forward, they tend to, uh, like, leap forward, dive, fall backwards, lean into their opponent. I don't think Loby does that. He tends to... He's got this weird gait, and he's got this weird uh, position that he gets himself into when he approaches a marking contest. And I don't think it lends itself... And unless he clunks it with, a, with a, you know, like a one-grab take in his hands, I don't think he's 
uh, quite in a position to take as many marks as he should. As you say, he's a massive unit, massive man. And for us to be, you know, I mean, we joke about it, but I was exactly the same. When, you know, when Loby took one of those contestants, I was like, wow, you know, this, it's like getting $50 on one of those rip-up bingo scratches. You're like, oh, that does, that's not supposed <laughs> to happen, you know? Uh, you're just absolutely surprised, like it's a bolt from the blue. And I mean, really, for, for a so-called premiership contender, for your number one Ruckman to be surprising his own fans by taking a contested mark, I mean, it's unacceptable. Hmm. And then he takes a second one and slots a goal from the Eddie Dingle pocket. I mean, <laughs> yes. what could go wrong? <laughs> it was unbelievable when that went through. I didn't know what was happening. Yeah, that was uh, that was unbelievable. On a few more positive notes, we've spoken about how good Wingard was. Uh, Bokey was unbelievable. Ryder was really good. Robbie Gray had uh, one of his best games for the year as well. And Hamish Hartlett, for the second week in a row, I thought was um, was wonderful out there. Yeah, yeah, I think he had a, a good game. I mean, I think Hammer cops a lot of um, flack, and I think for the early part of the season it was well deserved. But he's and he's starting to come into some good form the last few weeks, and he's um, and I think again, you know, yesterday, especially probably in the first half, he faded. I think a bit after half time, he was in one of the um, key players in the back half. You know, sort of a keep us from being run over even more than we were. I enjoy Hartlett off of half back, but and as good as he has been over the past couple of weeks, I still think he is a bit of a Salapekian waste back there. Yeah. I think, you know, as you said at the start, Macker. I mean, Hartlett didn't even go into the middle at any stage, even when we were getting smashed. And you've got to wonder what the rationale again is with that when. You know, he. we've seen his lateral movement. He's hard at it. He can win a ball. He's got beautiful disposal. I mean... <sighs> I'm can his body cope with it? Well, you know, as we've said before, and as we used to say with Salopec, if his body doesn't cope with it, well, maybe we've just got to suck that up. Maybe we've got to roll mm. the dice, as with Trengove in the ruck, and... You know what? If he if he goes in there and he's and his body breaks down, well, so be it. Polex did, and we're not going to play him as a halfback flanker. Be so one of Hartlett, even if you're not put him in the centre square. Why can't he be played on the you know like as an outside mid on the edge of a square? You know for the receive, and then he's got that long boot. We're having all the issues of getting it past that you know wall we encounter each week on the um, into the opposition's you know half back line. Let him use his, uh, his long kick. Get it over there. Get it onto you know uh, the top of the square. See if we can have you know Hoff or Ryder or Schultz take a mark there instead of you know this chip chip to the pocket. And you know then we kick yet another point. We seem to be we've got his, players. His lack who of do goal scoring things. has been one of the real issues this year, I think, and and the way he's been used sort of more as a I don't know like a almost in soccer terms like a box to box sort of midfielder sort of thing you know he's he's playing a little bit behind the ball and just not getting into goal scoring position and as you say I've been banging on about this for about four years where he's got this massive kick he's got an incredibly accurate kick in front of goal from anywhere within 60 meters and we play him in a back pocket in on a halfback flank more often than um, than we do on a forward flank and I just don't understand it because he he can take a pretty good mark and he can kick a goal from anywhere. So, I mean, he's only kicked six goals from 15 games this year. And I think last year he was 
going at uh, a goal a game, I think. So that's been one of the real sort of disappointing downturns. I think it's, again, we just seem to be, not only is it a case that we have so many players down on form, but we just seem to be playing the players in the in the wrong positions uh, so many times this year. And Hartless just, again, in one of those clear-cut cases where he's, you know, he's playing well, but like you say, he's just, he's not playing in the position where if he can have his best game and where he can have the the game that's going to you know, help the team the most. And it's not like he's Stonewall Hartlett, where if we decide to switch him to the forward line, we're going to, oh no, we're going to concede 20 goals. Well, didn't we do that yesterday? Mm. Like, uh, why, why not? why not shake things up? Why not try to make a move that, you know, heaven forbid you might put a game-breaking player with that weapon of a right boot into a dangerous position? Hmm. Rather I mean, than having him floating around as a luxury behind play like some sort of quasi-Bob Murphy. Trivey, you created a, a pretty epic thread on uh, on Big Footy today. And can you just sort of summarise your thoughts for those that are, are listening that aren't on the forum? Well, basically, yesterday and all the sound bites during the week... <laughs> I, um, it's really, and you know, I'm not alone there. As I was writing this thing over the course of the morning, coming back to it, after I posted it, I looked at the game day thread and saw that a lot of people had said similar things. So I'm not alone here, but, uh, basically it crystallized in my mind that, you know, probably this year you call it complacency, call it a desire to kind of be liked. You know, you said before about trying to keep the feel good, uh, you know, the feel-good story of Port Adelaide going. I just yeah. feel like David Kosh in particular, in terms of, you know, and people have said, people have said, well, you know, it's not David Kosh who fumbles a ball. It's not David Kosh who decides to miss a target. You know, that's not what I was getting at. Um, I think from the top down, you know, from the top down, I think <clears throat> uh, there's basically been a mindset or a malaise sink in from David Kosh in particular where the Port Adelaide Football Club over the last couple of years got back to being that Port Adelaide Football Club that, you know, stuff you, Port Adelaide first, you know, we got the one club up, we're going we're gonna to get our reserve teams, we're going to wear the prison bar jumper, uh, you know, we're never going to give up, you know, we're going we're gonna to play like Port Adelaide, that's what people want to say. And I think this year it's been more about... I don't know whether we've become addicted to the to the feel good factor or being on the back pages as, as a good news story, but I just think uh, from the top down, I think we're more concerned about being uh, well liked, inoffensive, endlessly apologetic for anything remotely negative that might come our way. Be it one person behaving badly at the football, allegedly one person behaving badly at the front of the hotel that's ten meters ten uh, minutes walk away from the footbridge, and uh, I just think the team has become a byproduct of what the top brass want it to be. You know, Andre said before, Travis Boak talking about putting the rivalry on hold and putting his arm around the Crows. And then the Crows turn around and say, oh, no, no, it's going to be war. We're going to go out there and smash in. And surprise, surprise, they played exactly like we thought they were going to play. We were meek. We were soft. Um, I don't think we were, you know, essentially soft at the ball, but I don't think we came with the desire to win the contest that the Crows did. And I think, you know, 
be it complacency, be it we thought it was just going to happen this year as a, as, a, as a natural symptom of the last couple of years, I just think Port Adelaide has become a, as in terms of an overall club and a brand, I think Crows light. You know, we want to be everybody's second favourite team. We want to be the team for all other South Australians. And this is what we didn't want to be. So, yeah. It's a fair point because over the last... And it's probably only happened over the course of the off-season and this season in general. I mean, you think back to the final last year where the AFL said, nah, sorry, you can't wear your, uh, your home Guernsey in your home final. And we said, well, screw you then. We want to wear our bloody prison bar. Like, that would never happen this year. Something's gone wrong over the off-season. I don't know if everyone sort of just expected this improvement to get us over the line and, and get into a grand final just to occur because of natural improvement and we've got this third youngest list in in the bloody AFL, which isn't even true and all that sort of stuff. But you, you just feel that there's been a real sort of complacency across the entire club from top to bottom over the last sort of nine, ten months and... It's just not acceptable, and it's not really the Port Adelaide way. No, it's not. And you know, I, I mean, it's 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 really hard for us, obviously, as Port Adelaide supporters, because we um the whole Phil Schwal- the Phil- the whole Phil Walsh tragedy. You know, yes, football is just a game. Yes, it is just young men chasing a bit of leather around. What are us middle-aged chumps getting so fired up about it and all the rest of it? But. Um, at the end of the day, it is a professional football competition. It is dog eat dog. Uh, it is our goal to, you know, move forward as a football club and win our share of football, win our share of dollars at the expense of all our rivals. And I just think David Kosh, while he obviously had to tow a party line this week with everything that went down and obviously having to extend an olive branch in terms of sympathy and grief and all the rest of it, I don't know what he is trying to achieve with putting his arm around Rob Chapman while the showdown trophy and the Phil Walsh medal were being uh, delivered to the winning team. We all know, obviously, that it was heartbreaking and Phil Walsh was a great football man, etc. And there's David Kosh, you know, visibly, almost in a look-at-me fashion, you could say, putting his arm around Rob Chapman to the point where Rob Chapman had a look on his face like, what's going on, as he looked off to the side. Uh, mm. I just think we've just taken this desire to be the good guys to a ridiculously overwrought level. And I don't know where we go from here in terms of what we stand for. Look at West Coast. They They... They did. They were able to respect the occasion, but they still went out there and played to their best and ended up crushing them. Whereas we just seemed to meekly accept that we would have to turn up and duly roll over and lose, give up our home game and everything in between because that's what everybody else wanted. And I'm not sure the old Port Adelaide would have done that. I think some of it, you have to wonder if they've taken the the wrong lesson so to speak as why our crowds have gone up the last couple of years um you know we've we've shifted across to adelaide over we've brought this you know great off-field you know game day experience and you have to wonder are they taking it that they think you know this is a reason why you know we've had this big jump in memberships not that you know we've gone back to being one club and we're playing you know up until this year attacking port adelaide style football i think you know are they 
taking us um, old school fans for granted and you know frying all their efforts that you know trying to hold on to what they think of these um almost you could say theater goers for um without trying to insult you know fellow port supporters but one you know the people that weren't there you know in our um at our nader and you know come along now you know we're doing well they've taken you know the wrong idea that you know they've come out because you know we're putting on a good show off the ground rather than because we are you know port adelaide again i think um i think some of that you could also see almost in you know the big footy survey we've just had that um, not big footy the uh, big port survey that we've just had that you know some of these questions and you know sort of things we're looking at there it's um it's sort of almost treading some dangerous ground into you know they're forgetting how quickly um you know the one club turned the club around and you know almost already you know forgetting you know how that whole situ- situation came about and you know what it did to the club and uh Again, almost uh, like you say, heading down that crow's light or southern power in a sort of route to um, a degree. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's uh, that's that's what it's feeling like to me. And I know that I've had, you know, when I wrote that um, when I wrote that post today, I've purposely let you know everybody have their say. I haven't responded to anybody because you know you, people don't have to agree with me. You know, that's, that was just how I felt. But I think people are kind of people are getting the. There was a couple of criticisms of the post saying, "Well, you know, where was this criticism last year when we were doing well? It's all about the team." It's like, no, no, this isn't. This is yes, it's got a, a little bit to do with the way the team is at the moment, but it's more to do with the general feel of the club. We we tend to, as you say, we tend to be pandering to this catch-all, generic theatre goer happy smiles everybody whether you're a home fan and away fan everybody has a good time like it's it's not the show you know it's not you're not getting on a ferris wheel eating some fairy floss and going home with a couple of show bags we're going there to see the port adelaide football club compete on the national stage which was the culmination of 120 odd years worth of hard work we're not just here to rock up pay our money go home like good customers you know and uh well, oh, that's all right. Win, lose, or draw. You know, everybody's happy. Congratulations for coming into our home ground and, you know, walking away with a famous win at Adelaide Oval. And you know, we'll rock up again in two weeks' time and watch it happen again. I just think mm. it's. I think there's just been a feel that the club is kind of moving into that kind of Adelaide Crows kind of you know fifty thousand members, sixty thousand members, we're paying our bills, we're a good corporate citizen, we're inoffensive, we're liked by all, SA great, happy days. And I just that so, that might that, that might be okay for David Koch who thinks that is a benchmark or a good KPI, but for, for you and me and Macca and the rest of the diehards who are having to sit through this horrendous season, there's just a feeling that the clubs, I think, maybe pulling the wrong rein in many different ways. And in some ways, it's even worse than being a Crows liar. I think their biggest one is they, you know, massively overrate themselves and think that every year their um, Fifty Shades of Vanilla are going to, you know, take them to a flag. It's it, being everyone's second club. I think of St Kilda and Bulldogs. You know, 50 years of nothing. You know, everyone says, oh, yep. you know, I, I like the Saints, I like the Bulldogs, you know, they're yep. my second club. Because they're, they're People like teams that are threat. inoffensive. They're exactly. never going to be a threat. That's why Woodville was everyone's second favourite SANFL team and why Fitzroy was everyone's second favourite AFL team. It's because exactly. they're not a threat. They were never, ever going to win anything, never going to make a grand final. 
you know, they were struggling to make ends meet and you feel sorry for them. That's that's why they're your second favourite team. And, no one has a know, second favourite team which is, is doing well and that, you know, a lot of people hate. Exactly. Second favourite teams are for teams which aren't going to threaten. And yeah. at the moment, we seem to be... Well, we're not this year because of how badly we've played. We're, you know, uh, Bulldogs is everyone's second favourite team this year. But, you know, it's a it's a loser market to chase. You, it doesn't get doesn't get you anything. You know, people don't go out and memberships for second favourite teams. No, that's right. I can understand from a administration point of view and how far back we were coming from that we needed to become likable across the entire AFL again. And we achieved that through 2013. And we achieved that through 2014. This year was all about making a grand final and winning a premiership and being ruthless and going that extra mile and never giving up. And it just hasn't happened at all. But I think we achieved that in 2013, 2014 by returning to being Port Adelaide. This year we seem to be trying to go that extra step to be likeable by moving away from Port Adelaide. So it's it's even the case that they're wanting to keep doing it, but they've... Instead of continuing on from what was been successful the last two years, um, you know, being everyone's second favourite team, it's like, you know, that's worked. Now we'll just throw it out the window and we'll try and be everyone's second favourite team by, you know, not offending anyone. That's it. As I said a few weeks ago, you know, screw being humble, screw being respectful, just be more Port Adelaide. That's what we mm. want. Yeah. Well, a Hawthorne, a Hawthorne doing this, like Hawthorne were very similar to us in that they had that massive period in the eighties. And then, you know, similar to us when we fell in a heap in, you know, 2011, 2012 and people were talking about us floating down the Ganges. I mean, Hawthorne, Hawthorne five or six years after they had a period where they competed in eight consecutive grand finals, almost merged as the junior partner with Melbourne. And they had to come from a long way back with Ian Dicker and, you know, having to get the, the memberships up and having to open a market in Tasmania and forge that market. And now Hawthorne, who remembers those days? Who remembers the days when they were absolutely falling in a hole? All people remember is Hawthorne winning a shitload back in the 70s and 80s, and now they are the unsociable Hawks, and they don't give a shit. They are ruthless. They are absolutely ruthless. And they're completely... They are are unapologetic, and, you know, who cares about how crap they were in the mid-90s, and who, who cares how crap they were in 2004 when they got Jordan Lewis, Buddy Franklin, and Jordan Roughhead out of the one draft because they only won four and a half games or three and a half games. That Those days are completely forgotten, and all we remember or know about the Hawks now is Luke Hodge and Sam Mitchell kneeing blokes and Buddy Franklin swaggering around kicking 150 goals, and this is all we know about the Hawks. They don't care. They are unsociable. They don't apologise, and they win all the time. Yeah. But it's like as any premiership team being uh, you know, sociable, you go back, you know, Sydney, they were a joke you know, in the 80s and 90s until they, you know, adopted the Bloods culture, you know, there and started being hard-nosed, you know, you know bastards, um, to put it bluntly, on the field, you know, um, in the north for all their you know years where they were good they were, you know hard at the ball you had Kerry there he wasn't you know a you know led from the front um it's like there hasn't been a you know inoffensive you know premiership you know team in in the AFL in the last 20 or 30 years Ever. it's not it, yeah, it, it's it not, doesn't happen no it's not it's not like you know the SNFL where you could fluke you know a Glenelg or a Sturt you know um you know, flashy players who aren't afraid to, you know, you know, put someone's nose out of joint, you know, where that's, you know, possible. You don't, you just don't ever get that in the AFL, and, and you sort of wonder why the club thinks that could happen. 
Every weeks, premiership team has swagger, it has attitude, it has a shitload of arrogance, and they are ruthless. I mean, you look at the, the Bombers, you look at you know the Brisbane three-peat team, you look at Geelong, you look at Sydney, you look at the Crows. I mean, they all had sort of that sort of arrogance about them. Well, you sort of you take that whole arrogance argument and you look at the case that we haven't had any suspensions this year and you've got to think that's got to have been a directive from, you know, Ken that, you know, basically, you know, you know, don't go out there, don't get yourself suspended. But then we've seen, you know, what's been the consequence of that. We've had the likes of, you know, Brisbane walk all over us. We had, you know, Grey, you know, sling tackled into the ground and, you know, knocked out and then our players basically sat back and, you know, you know, did nothing about it. It's like, yes, it can be annoying when, you know, you lose a, a player for a tiki touch, you know, suspension. And if we get a suspension, you know, you know, we that happened to us. We aren't a, in a way, a Mitchell or someone who can, you know, knee someone repeatedly or, um, you know, get away with it. But, you know, then teams aren't going to come out and, and think they can just push us around without consequence. That, you know, if we'd been willing to cop the you know a suspension or two along the way i think we'd um, go a long way to not being so pushed around and bullied on the ball this year and that's got to come from the coaches and i i guess the other part that i was talking talking about as well is that are we the only club in history that has purposely sought to water down our home ground advantage <laughs> like do you, do you remember do you remember last year when keith thomas sent that email out to the members because we booed hawthorne off after we beat them are we, like, are we the only yes. club in professional sport that would take a 50,000 parochial brand new spaceship of a home ground and actively say to our own paid up members, hey guys, come on, don't boot, don't boot the opposition, don't be intimidating. We want this to be family friendly and fun and by all means, let's get rid of the swearing, let's get rid of the racism, let's get rid of, you know, outright abuse of fellow patrons. But... I don't know about you guys, but when I rock up to the football, I want to be in. I want as us as a crowd to be intimidating towards the opposition. And for, for Keith Thomas to come out and tell it's us the whole point of play. having home games. What, hmm. What's the point? Let, let's just let's just let's just play to an empty house, and we'll go watch them at the cinema with some fizzy pop and some popcorn. I mean, why don't we all traipse across the footbridge to Elder Park and watch it on the big yeah. screen? <laughs> why does anyone need to be in the stadium? I mean, and and hasn't I mean since since these directives have come down from Caution Thomas, I mean there was a, there was a reiteration after that the Western Bulldogs supporter claimed that her son was you know I think she changed their story about six times, but um, after she claimed that her son was abused, you know there was a there was actually a video put up after the game. I think it was after the Geelong game by Keith Thomas and David Kosh, you know, talking about how to behave and we want everybody to be happy and have a good time and. You, you just think to yourself, okay, well, we want to get rid of all the, you know, the really, you know, unsavory stuff. And we do want it to be a safe, you know, fun environment for fellow spectators. But what are we doing trying to water down fan culture in terms of booing the opposition or, you know, really making Adelaide over an intimidating place to play? And I mean, have a look at our record since that period where we were undefeated. I think we've played 15, our last 15 at Adelaide over with one seven and lost eight. And we've had Geelong and West Coast and Richmond come to our oval and, you know, Essendon leave with a famous victory. And we just tend to be happy with that. You know, well done. Thanks for coming to our home ground. And, you know, I'm glad we could uh, I'm glad we could bend over, just like, you know, you said with Loby to Jacobs. And I'm glad we could say, no, no, put the lube away. We'll just give you the win. So, 
I don't know. I'm I'm just I'm just uncertain as to what the top brass of our club are trying to do in terms of shaping the direction of what we want our club to be. Yeah. I mean, I think they fail to understand that there's nothing which makes you feel more engaged as a fan than and you get forty or fifty thousand people all as a group just, you know, there cheering, you know, shouting, you know, getting behind the team, not you know, not oh no, I'm not sure if I should, you know, call out here because, you know, someone might be offended. It's it's football is a tribal event and you don't want to be thinking, Oh, you know, should I be saying this? I mean, I wanna be able to go to football and call Adam Goods a campaigner until he um stops coming over for games here. <laughs> I mean, we had that yesterday with Graham Gooding's ridiculous tweet. Yeah, I mean, whether exactly. whether whether yeah. that minority was booing Walker, whether that minority was booing the umpires, it's our home game. We've just lost a heartbreaker to our biggest rivals. We've got a right. We've paid our money to go. We've got a right to respond, don't we? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, well, I'm not going to take anything from Adelaide fans. I mean, I still remember the the, the very first showdown and end of the match. You know, I was thinking, you know, I should go and over and boo their fans and just remembering just looking over and seeing their fans leaning over the race and actually, you know, spitting on their own players. And I thought, you know, who are these mob? And, you know, it's 20-odd years later and they're still, you know, just a bunch of campaigners, their supporters. And I want to be able to shout out and, uh, and not be afraid to say that. And it's all well and good for them to come out and say, oh, how disrespectful it was to boo Walker on, on that particular day because of the Phil Walsh thing. You know, we weren't booing Philip Walsh. We weren't booing anything to do with that situation. And if we want to boo, we'll boo to our heart's content. Thank you very much. Mm. And I think people need to remember that this is a mob who, from the bottom dregs of their supporter base, through to their administration and their CEO, wanted us out of the competition and we're calling us a disgrace to the AFL, a disgrace to South Australian sport. And now they're complaining because 47 people booed while Walker accepted a, a trophy. Piss yeah. off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And hey, boys, this is exactly what I'm talking about. You would never hear something like that past David Koch or Keith Thomas's lips. Because no. we're the good guys. We would never reach the media um, if it was the situation was reversed. You know, no one would mention it. It would just be, you know, uh, you know, Travis Boker, you know, got the trophy and you know was clapped by, uh, you know, all that were there and um, you know gloss over, you know, the minority who booed. It's, um, you know, as I say, it hasn't taken long for the media to start getting back to um, their uh, usual self and um, in a sta- normal state of affairs returning. Well, look, let's move on from that. This has gone way over time. This has been very cathartic, and I'm bloody fired up now. I want to watch another game of footy straight away. But just before we go, I've got to I've got to raise this question because we probably should have spoken a little bit about the Magpies because they did beat top of the table Woodville West Torrens by 41 points in a in a wonderful display um, and a great response to the loss against Norwood. But you know, people's favourites, uh, Kane Mitchell and Sam Gray, shared, I think, uh, 65 disposals, 18 tackles, 14 clearances, 12 inside 50s, a goal and a partridge in a pear tree on the weekend. What are the odds that we're going to see Aaron Young, Brendan Archie out, Kane Mitchell, Sam Gray in this weekend? 
yeah, well, one of them will probably come back, but it's not going to make them grow a, you know, two or three inches and put on, you know, five or ten kilos. They're still going to be undersized for AFL no matter how many times they dominate at the lower level. It's, um, it just doesn't change the facts. Yeah. Yeah, I'd rather see, I'd rather see, I mean, is it not time now to start experimenting with the list? Mm. You know, get, get Mitch Harvey in, maybe give John Butcher one last hurrah. Let's let's actually make a change that is at least going to tell us something about the state of the list going forward instead of just, as you say, doing the same old rinse repeat. Out Aaron Young, out Brendan Archie, in Kane Mitchell, in Sam Gray. Like, let's let's do something that will actually tell us where we're at going into the summer. Yeah, I mean, we're... This, this now... is the perfect opportunity to drop Loby for a week and say, just have a week off, whatever. Let's put in Mitch Harvey against Sean McKernan, who's not going to do anything as a ruckman. You know, Ryder can ruck the full game. We'll chuck Harvey in there as a chop out, see how he goes, play him out of full forward. Hopefully he kicks a couple of goals. Mm. And then we've reached a stage of a season, like I say, we've got to you know, give these guys a run, but it's, in a finals, a shot. It's now in the last seven rounds, it's... Um, do we take? Do we find a silver lining out of a season? You know, playing these guys, seeing where the state of a list is, or you know, are we going to rock around again to 2016 and we're still here asking the questions? You know, can Butcher make it? Is Moore or Young finally going to have their breakout year? You know, it's um, I don't want to be you know playing you know Groundhog Day you know this time next year you know asking all the same questions over and over again. You know, I want some of these questions answered. Mm. And now finals are out the way. You know, let's you know let's get some of these ones answered. You know, where are we at with some of these players? Absolutely. That's it. Well, on that note, I think we should uh, call it quits for the evening. And uh, thank you very, very much, guys, for coming on. All right. Well, I've got to admit, like I say, it's been cathartic. So uh, at least got it off the chest. Absolutely loved it. That's it. Until right. next time, boys. Okay. Counterpair. Counterpower. Counterport. He's got to keep his feet corns just worried him out of it. Slips a handball to Treadray. Back turn. Well done. Little give. This might be it. Corns, Treadray, Pierce.